0: Hello and welcome to Touching the Sunrise podcast. I am Sister Catherine Herms, author of Surviving Depression, a Catholic Approach, and Reclaim Regret, How God Heals Life's Disappointments, and spiritual guide in the Heartwork program, which specializes in helping people walk the road of spiritual growth and inner healing. For the past 10 years, I have been walking alongside wonderful women and men who want a more heart-centered and spiritual life but would like support on the way through online programs a facebook group a heartwork community on patreon and 101 spiritual guidance i walk with people on a contemplative and healing path that has been trodden for thousands of years basically i'm here to help you surrender to the power of the holy spirit who has come to make your being the throne of the holy trinity So that your life, your prayer, your relationships, your dreams and goals will most deeply satisfy the desires of your heart. You can find out more about me and what God has led me to do in the world by visiting my website, touchingthesunrise.com. So let's start as we always do, reconnecting, remembering, refreshing. Take a deep breath directly into your heart, even deeper than your heart, into that that organ, into your soul, where divine grace transforms you with the presence, the light, and the life of the divine trinity. Notice how you're feeling. What are your expectations? Are you carrying any anxiety? Scan your body from your feet to your head and tell yourself to relax. Allow the silence to wash over you, wrapping itself around you with its comforting arms. And repeat quietly and reverently, be still now, God is here. Let yourself slip deeper and deeper Picture that place within yourself where God calls you by name. In this place, you can let go of all your masks and defenses. Here, you are completely loved. Here, where God pronounces your name, you can be truly happy. Here, you no longer need to buy happiness and acceptance. Here, in this place, Love expands more and more, taking over your thoughts and fears, replacing your attitudes and words and perceptions. Here you are peace. You are filled with light that comes from God, who is love and goodness itself. It is certain and true, you are the outpouring of God's immensely tender love, which is always just beginning always expanding and opening itself, always spreading light, always bestowing life. Breathe in light and breathe out any darkness you may feel. Breathe in light and breathe out attitudes that mar the perfection of that crystalline brightness. Breathe in light which permeates every cell of your body and breathe out feelings that are obstacles to that light. If you were with us last week, you will remember we talked about uh, imprisonment and the ways that we can practically and concretely love in the midst of imprisoning situations. Today we're going to take that a step further and we're going to be looking at freedom, even in these imprisoning situations. One day, a long time ago, I received a letter from a gentleman in Illinois that I will never forget. In the email, he said, I thought that someone might be able to use this story, and so I sent it to you. And so thus began one of those connections that the God establishes to multiply His grace and mercy. In his letter, Patrick described a difficult time in his life. Quote, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. This was the only prayer that Patrick could say. He had forgotten in the midst of his pain all the other prayers he had learned when he was a boy, except this one very short plea to God. This plea became his lifeboat in a sea of disappointments and misery. It was a simple prayer, simple and desperate. The seven months in which Patrick uttered this prayer almost with every breath were not easy ones. They were marked by divorce, the loss of a beautiful home, business failure, and loneliness. Patrick could not understand why his life had turned so sour. He continued to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Though it seemed such a contradiction, where was this God who could change things? Why hadn't God intervened? Was Patrick being punished? And if so, what terrible thing had he done to deserve all this? The questions kept coming as fast as Patrick could say this prayer. They were not questions of anger. They they were questions of wanting to understand wanting to communicate with the only one who could help him. By the time he wrote this letter, Patrick was living in his van. Periodically, members of the parish would take him in for a night or two and give him a hot meal. Such nice were respite in his otherwise complete isolation. As the weeks wore on, Patrick began to notice something, though. Even though he had lost just about everything he loved and possessed, he now had something new, peace and contentment. It was an odd feeling to be so broken and yet so much at peace. It made no sense. He worried about where his life would go next, what life beyond the van, so to speak, would be like. And yet, Patrick also seemed to be held up by invisible supports. One night, Patrick felt a pain in his chest that was so severe, he thought he was having a heart attack. He managed to drive himself to the hospital. The doctor who examined him told him he was in perfect health. Then he asked the emergency room doctor, what is this pain I feel? Probably the stress of your situation," the doctor replied, and so he left. Two days later, Patrick was in a parishioner's home watching TV with the family after supper. And again, he felt this pain in his chest. It was a tingling feeling, warm and deep, and it seemed to wrap itself around his heart. It lasted just a few seconds. And when the tingling left him, the pain was gone. The next day, a man from the parish prayer group came up to him and told him that he had a message to deliver to him from Jesus. Well, Patrick was not accustomed to receiving messages from Jesus through other people, but the man did get his attention when Patrick realized he had received this message for him at the same time he had felt the tingling in his chest the night before. And these were the words that Jesus had wanted delivered to Patrick. And I quote from his letter. My child, you seek a quick answer to a long-standing problem. You seek the glory of the risen Christ without taking up your cross. My child, you walk still attached to this world, even though I have offered you freedom from all its fetters. My child, you expect all without any concerted effort on your part. This will not be the case, my son. You will have to come to me by way of the cross. Accept the cross with a joyful heart. Accept the cross with praise on your lips. Walk in complete trust in me. Despise your life in this world and all that it offers. Give me complete control of every aspect of your life, even your very breath and heartbeat. I seek this freedom from you this surrender by you. This will be the starting place to a new freedom and healing for you. This will give me the freedom to heal the unforgiveness that is still pent up in you. My son, do you not feel the unforgiveness festering in you? Let it go with all your heart. Learn to trust completely in me. If I should subject you to death, then accept it with a joyful heart because you have given me your all, and this is what I ask. There should be nothing in this world that should bring you unrest. I am in total control. My child, why do you value this world so much? What has it given you? that you hold it so dear to your heart. Let it go and seek only oneness with me. Walk not in fear, but in peace and joy with me. I offer myself to you for strength and insight and healing. It is a gift found in the cross. Walk totally with me, my son not by the words from your lips, but by the witness of your cross. Sometimes we bargain with God. We, we seek to buy security with our prayers, our religious activities, or our righteous behavior. We might say, I give to the missions, so why should this happen to me? What have I done to deserve this? I go to church every Sunday. Why is it that people get away with murder and this happens to me? This isn't fair. We discover in time, however, that God cannot be bought. He loves us too much to be caught up in our anxious games. We have a tendency to to seek the good things of life and to blame God for anything bad that happens to ourselves or our loved ones. Once we have pulled things together, our house, our family, our career, our financial security, anything that upsets the balance must be remedied as quickly as possible. Things need to return to the way they were. We are afraid of change, but our God is a God of the future, a God walking always into the unknown with us. I'm reminded of the book of Isaiah, which has a long and complex history, a history of 400 years extending from the 8th to the 5th centuries before the birth of Christ. The prophet Isaiah is associated with the first 39 oracles of the book, and his disciples and anonymous prophets account for the oracles in the rest of the book. The prophecies in the book of Isaiah paint the catastrophic history of Israel in very broad strokes. The prophecies juxtapose condemnation and salvation, distress and restoration, waywardness and fidelity, upheaval and peace. They seem to be random prophetic fragments, but on closer reading, This kind of chaotic collection reflects the events of history and even the events of our own life. The prophet deals with the bewildering mystery of the rise and fall of events that that are an enigma to us. He asks and answers questions that we all ask. Why is it that the unjust person flourishes? Why do good people suffer? Where is God when tragedy strikes? How could God let that tsunami kill so many people? How can one man get away with creating so much destruction for the people in this country? Why did God answer my prayer for a new house only to let me lose my job a year later? The confusing sequence of life's events is a bewildering mystery. Isaiah, though, He helps us see and hear the supreme drama of history and life on a deeper level. He shares the same questions we have. He too wonders at the purposes of God. But fundamentally, Isaiah believes that there is more to history than historians describe and more to our lives than what we perceive. History is more than the collective decisions of presidents and the activity of soldiers. It is more than the fluctuations of the dollar and the suffering of people. Our lives are they are more than the jobs we have or lose, the money we save, the tragedies we survive. At its deepest level, history, whether that of a nation or that of a person, is about the relationship between God and us. The supreme drama is therefore that God's word meets with our refusal. We forget all that God did for our ancestors, our biblical mothers and fathers, the saints, and those who have witnessed to us God's power And God's fidelity because we have forgotten God's covenant with us we are unable to decipher the code of history we have eyes but do not see ears but do not hear according to Isaiah the initial evil is always forgetting God it is this evil that leads people to indulge in lies deception of violence and correlatively idolatry and pride through pride leaders become tyrants who lead their subjects to death through pride humans make themselves rivals and usurp god's place thwarting their own identity by disregarding god's it is only with the memory of God's covenantal promises, that we can perceive the coherence of history and of our lives. Isaiah asks his readers, Will you have the patience and trust to believe that in the midst of the chaos of disasters and restorations, the covenant is on its way toward its fulfillment? Just beneath the surface of the harshest oracles in the book of Isaiah, one can glimpse the features of a God whose glory is ultimately to heal, to forgive, and to gather Israel and all nations into the everlasting banquet at which all tears will be wiped away. So. Within the procession of events is another history that contains the real stakes that determine our final destiny. The destiny both of individuals and nations. In this second history we see revealed the plan of God. Isaiah tells of the healing God wants to bestow, is going to bestow, on those who acknowledge their faithlessness those who agree to leave the heights of pride and walk on the low paths of humility he speaks of the healing of the people that were injured by adversity of the heart that remembers the covenant the plan of salvation advances despite god's judgment on sin both patrick and that marvelous letter the words of jesus and the prophet isaiah they had the courage to look deeply into the drama of life to see through as it were the fog of pain and sorrow in the midst of contradiction and pain what mystics call the innocence of life god has amazing ways of knocking on people's hearts awakening desires, arousing questions, provoking an unexpected spiritual fire. Remember, if you'd like some extra support and are ready to embark on a sustained spiritual journey, you can connect with me in a number of ways by going to my website, touchingthesunrise.com. So until the next time, take care of yourself. And remember that you are not alone that you are loved no matter what. And when you search within yourself, you will find not only yourself, but the throne of the Divine Trinity. You have a calling, a mission, and every gift, every grace, every moment, even every fall, every mistaken sin is a step toward your completely and wholly being taken up into the mystery of God's love for you and for all creation. Remember always that you have a treasure of of inexpressible joy hidden in an earthen vessel that's small and fragile. May this overflowing joy fill you and yours with its fragrance. God be with you.